coming up on All Nations Church. That we can connect with if we are willing to humble ourselves and surrender to God. He is willing to use us, not because we are worthy, but because He has called us and because His grace has made a way for us. And you know, one thing this whole lockdown taught me is there's a distinction between ministers and churches. To some, this is a career. To others, this is a calling. The church has to be open because the light has to shine. feet please how many of you glad to be in church today it's lashing rain outside I don't know where else you'd be amen praise God we're going to read Isaiah chapter uh, 55 and verse 6 to 8 together and uh, we're finishing our message today on humility unless the Lord says otherwise but uh, let's 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 read together from verse uh, 6 Thank you, Jesus. Isaiah 55 and verse 6. Hallelujah. Praise God. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Don't be afraid to speak out. God gave you a voice. Amen? It's on the screen. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. You may be seated. Here it says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. You know, that, that passage starts by uh, calling us to seek the Lord while he may be found. You know, to call upon him while he is near, because there's such a thing as, as too late, amen? And, um, and that's why it continues and says, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And so uh, I wanna read a, a quote here by uh, Augustine of Hippo, 345 to 430. If you plan to build a tall house of virtues, you must first lay deep foundations of humility. And you know, the higher up a building has to go, the deeper the foundation has to be. Well, here what Augustine was saying is that, you know, if you want to build something in your life, if you want to make something of your life, if you want to accomplish anything of meaning, then you must lay a deep foundation of humility. A.W. Tozer, for the Christian, humility is absolutely indispensable. Without it, there can be no knowledge, no repentance, no faith, and no salvation. You see, it's humility that, that draws us to Christ. We have to humble ourselves to receive the Lord Jesus as our Savior. Because to simply acknowledge that you need a Savior takes humility. To realize that you can't do it by yourself. That you don't have all the answers. That you can't do it in your strength. This is why Paul, in the book of Philippians, was able to declare, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Because Paul was in a a very dark place. He was in prison. He was lonely. He was in a very discouraging place. And yes, even though he was in a dark place, uh, you know, the darkness that was around him wasn't within him. Because he wrote one of the most inspiring books of the Bible, the book of Philippians, filled with joy. You know, where he declared, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say to you, rejoice. How many of you know, uh, (laughs) to rejoice is a choice. And, and it's something that you need to practice here in Ireland because if you need a blue sky and, and a nice sunny day to be happy, you're in trouble, amen? You're gonna have to learn to rejoice by faith, amen? You know, we had a friend of ours uh, at the house during the week, she's uh, Polish, um, Ivana, and uh, we were standing there just looking out and it was snowing, and I said, Ivana, does that remind you of home? And she said, well, she said, back in Poland, the snow doesn't go sideways. And, uh, you know, it was just going sideways past the house. But, you know, that's, that's where we are. But, um, 
you know what? It, it, it is humility and, and, and true humility and repentance we draw near to God. You see, the life of faith is rooted in humility because humility brings us to repentance and repentance brings us to humility and both of them bring us to God. Amen? And so, uh, again, it says, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts because God is only able to heal what we are willing to reveal. I think that's important to understand. God can only heal what you're willing to reveal. And, and, and too many times, you know, because we lack humility, because we, we lack the ability to look at ourselves uh, in an honest manner, um, uh, you know, we're not able to reveal things even to ourselves. And consequently, God can't heal what we're not willing to reveal um, or, or to acknowledge. So healing, deliverance, and wholeness is only possible when we come before God's throne of grace in repentance, humility, and honesty. Uh, where just like Jacob, like last week we looked out where, you know, he, he wrestled with a man till daybreak and he said, what's your name? And he cried out, Jacob, deceiver. You know, and it was that moment of realization for, for Jacob where he had to, you know, become honest. And, and in the same way, I think we need to come before God. And like I said, not just in humility, but in honesty, where we acknowledge the inconvenient, painful truth. Lord, I have issues. Uh, it may be lust. It may be addiction. It may be, you know, gossip or bitterness or covetousness or pride. Amen? And so, because sometimes we can be utterly oblivious to the true nature of the problem. Uh, many times, like I said, we think our problem is our wife or our husband or our job or our boss or, or our circumstances or the weather. But you know what? Uh, sometimes uh, it's, it's none of those things. It's actually our pride and our arrogance that blinds us to our sin and separates us from His grace. Because, again, pride will, will, like I said, will blind us to what is wrong in our lives and it will separate us from God's grace. I want us to look in the book of Luke, chapter 18 and verse 9. And it's the uh, parable of uh, the Pharisee and the publican. Also, he spoke this parable to some who trusted in himself that they were righteous and despised others. And none of us are exempt from that temptation of trusting in ourselves, of trusting in our righteousness. I feel kind of good about myself because I've been praying all week or because I've been fasting, I've been giving, I've been serving. Uh, but you know what? On our best day, none of us meet the mark. And so remember, everything God does, it's by his grace. It doesn't mean that we don't give him our best, but we understand that you know what? We don't trust in our righteousness. We don't trust in our performance. God loves us irrespective of whether our performance has been uh, good, bad, or indifferent. Amen? So anyway, he spoke this parable to those who trusted in themselves that they are righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. You know, these are, 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 are sobering words and, you know, they resonate in our hearts because the Lord is showing us about what is truly important. Amen? And, and how we should never look down on anybody. And, you know, it, you know it's my hope that as a church that, 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 you know, we're building a family here where irrespective of whether the person sitting, sitting next to you is a, a millionaire or whether they're homeless, uh, uh, you, you know, that we, we treat everybody with respect. And, I'm, uh, you know, anytime we have leaders meetings, I tell, you know, all of our ushers, I want you to celebrate everybody who walks through those doors, no matter what they have or don't have. We, we, we're here to love people. 
people because, again, and I've said it to, to the ushers, you know, you've no idea what kind of hell that person might have gone through this week, you know, just to get through the doors. So, you know, let's, let's love and, and, and respect each other in Jesus' name. But uh, sadly, the, this, this Pharisee didn't get it. Um, you know, holiness isn't some sort of a, an exclusive card or some sort of an exclusive club like Mensa where you get to look down on others who don't meet the mark. Amen. You know, true holiness, uh, those who truly know God and encounter God, love people and respect people and value people. And um, so this, this Pharisee didn't get it. You see, both were sinners in, in need of forgiveness. Unfortunately, only one of them realized it. And, and you know, sometimes I wonder, do we come before God like that Pharisee and, and we start to kind of list all of our virtues, all of our goodness, all of our innate abilities and contributions and what we've done for the kingdom. Listen, God, God is not moved by need and he is not moved by virtue. He is moved by faith. Glory to God. He will move heaven and earth for somebody who has faith in their hearts. But remember, we deserve and earn nothing from God. By grace we are saved. True faith. This not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works lest anyone should boast. Amen. True humility makes us realize how insignificant we actually are. You see, it's only by God's grace that he decides to call us or use us or anoint us because it's not about you and it never was and it never will be it is all about his glory why amen why because he is lord he is god and he's worthy of praise what happens in this place is for his glory there might have been all sorts of partying and carousing going on here last night. But this morning, while we are here, this is a house of God dedicated to worship in Jesus' name. What happens in this place is for His glory because it is His word. It is His blood. It is His salvation. It is His truth. It is His grace. And that is why no flesh must ever glory in His presence. Amen. Because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and they that dwell therein. And that includes every one of us. Could somebody say, thank you, Jesus. I belong to the King. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Amen. We must be motivated by sincere desire to give God all of the glory. Amen. I think it's important though. We can't be driven by a desire for personal gain or acclamation. You know, Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 5. You know, probably one of my most favorite chapters in the, in the whole Bible. We, we have here this divine encounter that Isaiah had with the king. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. How many of you know the God we worship is high and lifted up? There is no one like him. He is king. He is Lord and he is in control. And the train of his robe filled the temple. And above it stood seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face. What's that? That's humility. With two he covered his feet. What's that? That's holiness. And with two he flew. That is the power of the Holy Spirit. Glory to God. And one cried to another, said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I'm undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. What was the first thing that happened? Isaiah, when he beheld the glory of God, he was convicted of his sin. The very first thing that Isaiah did when he encountered God was he humbled himself. And if you want God to move in your life, you must learn to humble yourself on a daily basis. Let's, I don't approach this pulpit with, with confidence anymore. I approach it with fear and trembling because I know that I'm utterly inadequate as of myself. But you know what? There's an anointing that we can connect with if we are willing to humble ourselves and surrender to God. He is willing to use us, not because we are worthy, but because He has called us and because His grace has made a way for us. Amen? So again... I, I, I approached on, on a Sunday, 
you know, with fear and trembling, you might say, well, that's, that, that's not in line with my, 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 my theology. That's okay. You, you have your theology, I have mine. But you know what? I'm very aware, I'm very mindful of the awesome responsibility that God has given me as a pastor to teach and guide and influence eternal souls. This is not a game. This is about eternity. And this is about the precious people that Christ hung on the cross and purchased and shed his blood for. So I don't take this responsibility lightly. I take it very seriously. I speak today in the fear of God. When I went to the cross last Easter in the Phoenix Park, I did not go there because I desired notoriety or because I wanted hassle with the authorities. I went there to honor God. As a pastor, I couldn't countenance the idea of the church being closed for two, there's a second Easter in a row. I, I said, Lord, I can't do it. I can't do it. I know the authorities are saying, stay home, stay safe. But you know what? You are worthy of worship. You are worthy of worship. And you know, one thing this whole lockdown taught me is there's a distinction between ministers and churches. To some, this is a career. To others, this is a calling. Some were quite happy to stay home, stay safe, and get paid anyway. I did this for years without being paid, and I don't care if I have to go back to doing that again. But I do this because it is a call. It's a call to proclaim truth to my generation. The church has to be open because the light has to shine. And while I'm talking with it, I just want to address Canada. What's happening over there with that, that you know, that petty, black-faced little, little tyrant? I just pray in the name of Jesus, deliverance over Canada. Amen. In the name of Jesus, deliverance over New Zealand. Amen. Deliverance over Australia and the nations. Because there's a spirit behind much of this. What happens so-called in the name of the greater good. You know, we're seeing democratic nation right now where people who have supported those truckers are having, you know, their bank accounts frozen. I mean, they don't even do that in Venezuela. Okay, they probably did. Yeah, they did. But I'm just saying, because I, I just find it galling right now that, you know, a lot of these nations pontificating about Russia, talking about our so-called values and our so-called way of life, when these very same governments have done everything they can over these last number of years to undermine and destroy those very same values. It's hypocrisy of the highest order. Our values, telling our children they've descended from apes, telling our little boys you might be a little girl, or not a little girl, you might be a boy. Doing everything they can to push, you know, LGBT and all sorts of perversion and all sorts of lies. I'm sorry, as a pastor, I can't just sit back and pretend that isn't happening. I speak freedom over the nations in the name of Jesus. Freedom from tyranny, freedom from control. And I just pray in the name of Jesus that true democracy are going to be restored to our nations in the name of Jesus. Because, you know, when I see people literally salivating at the idea of going to war with Russia, you know, the very same people who are telling you to stay home, not go beyond two kilometers of your home, you know, to pushing all of these ideologies, the same media that pushes all of this propaganda and lies. And now they're telling us, you know, uh, we, need to, we need to do this and that. We need to, you know, attack another nation. This is crazy. I'm, I'm praying for Ukraine. I'm praying for, you know, protection over that nation. But you know what? I, I'm just tired of so much manipulation and lies and propaganda being put out there. And, you know, Western nations putting themselves on a pedestal as if they're somehow perfect. Listen, it's about time to deal with our own house in Jesus' name. We need to put our house in order. And some of these governments need to be changed. Okay, back to the message. 
devil didn't want me here today. I came in here at uh, about half past 10 and realized that my Bibles, my, 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 my tablet, my microphone, everything back home. Dumped the kids off and I floored it back to Kildare. So by God's grace, I'm here. Yeah. Amen. But you know, some of these things need to be said. You know, a lot of these leaders have been put into place by powers, very dark powers in the background. These are just puppets. But you know, in the name of Jesus, that you know, those powers are broken because revival is coming to the nations. And the nations are awakening. They're awakening in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Let freedom reign. Let freedom reign in the name of Jesus. That's why I went to the cross. I went to, to, to give a cry of freedom. We gathered there at 6 a.m. Easter Sunday morning to worship and pray and to cry out on behalf of this nation. Oh, freedom in Jesus' name is coming to our land. Thank you, Father. All true courage is rooted in conviction. And when I see such a lack of courage in ministers, I have to ask, how convicted are they about the truths that they purport to declare and proclaim? Yes. Amen. How convicted are you? Yeah. And I thank God for those clergy, those ministers in Canada who have spoken up against the government and said that they're provoking the wrath of God and the judgment of God on that nation by the way that they're behaving. Because that is not democracy. No. That's why I went to the cross. I, I went and I said, Lord, if I get arrested, I get arrested. And it wasn't easy. I was there with my beautiful wife, my beautiful five little babies. You know, they were anxious. I remember, I think it was Max, sat next to you and my oldest son. And he said, hey man, your dad's going to get arrested today. <laughs> but you know what? I had praying people around me. I had people praying for me. Glory to God, because it wasn't about insulting or demeaning the police. Okay, we love the Gardaí. We love and we respect the government, but there are some things that are higher. Oh, yes. There are some things that we count to be sacred, and one of them is the ability to gather and worship our God. Ezekiel 22 and verse 30. Now I need an extra 10 minutes. That was nothing to do with the message, so I'm just getting back into it. Ezekiel 22:30. I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. Hallelujah. I found no one. Are you praying? Are you praying for the Ukraine? Are you praying for Russia? Are you praying for the nations? It's time. Listen, politicians don't have the answer. And you're most likely not even getting the truth from the media. We need to be on our knees and praying to God. We need to be crying out to God for our generation. Because you know what? I'd never been arrested in my life and I had no desire to be. Okay? And, and that feeling that when I stood up to speak, that the guardian were probably on their way to arrest me, uh, was not a good feeling, you know? But you know what? All I know is this, is when I made, took that stand at that cross, that beautiful 115-foot cross, when I stood there, I felt the comforting presence of God. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. You see, he never leaves you. He's with you in those dark places. He's with you in those tough times. And you know, I think it's beautiful that as we stood under that cross, that God met with us during a time of great darkness and despair in Ireland. And we lifted up our voices in prayer for this nation. And you know what? We're gathered here today for public worship. Glory to God. Come on. How many of you are glad? How many of you believe this matters what we're doing today? This matters. It's important. It's significant. Amen. That's why the devil wanted the, dead, the churches closed. And I pray in the name of Jesus that the churches will never be closed in this nation again. 
I, for one, will never take, you know what, the right to gather for public worship for, for granted. Because humility causes us to appreciate the simple things in life. Food in our belly, strength in our body, peace in our mind, a roof over our heads, people who love us, friends and family, a job to go to tomorrow morning, freedom of movement and freedom of speech, forgiveness of sin. You see, humility causes you to recognize that your very next breath is a gift from your creator. Acts chapter 27, we have here the story of Paul in the storm. Acts chapter 27 and verse 9. Now when much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already all over, Paul advised them saying, Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also of our lives. Paul didn't say, I've been given a vision. Uh, I, God gave me a, you know, uh, something carved in stone. He said, I perceive his spirit. You know, we need to be led. The Bible says as many as are led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. We need to be sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit. We need to be sensitive when God gives us a witness to do or not to do something, to go or not to go somewhere. Amen. He said, I perceive. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. And again, perfectly logically, because Paul was a prisoner and these were sailors. I mean, and, and it was the rational thing to do was to listen to the sailors. And it says because the harbor was not suitable, it says the majority, uh, the majority can get you in a whole lot of trouble. I don't care if I'm in the minority. I want to, I want to be with Jesus, even if I'm on my own. Amen. And it says to set sail from there and then verse 13, supposing the south wind uh, blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their desire, putting out to sea, they sailed close by Crete. And it says, suddenly the ship was caught. They were in a storm. And, um, you know, it, it talks about how uh, they, they ended up throwing over the tackle. Verse 20, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest beaten us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. But after long abstinence from food, Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For by they stood by, this, by being this night an angel of the God to whom I serve and whom I belong saying, do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. Indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. It says God has granted you. You know what Paul was praying for? He wasn't praying for his protection. He was praying for the souls of everybody else on the ship. Paul was ready to go. He said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But he said, Lord, all of these guys are not ready. And so God says, I've granted you your request. Amen. And he said, so uh, therefore, take heart, man. I believe in God. It shall be even as it was told me. We need to be soul winners. We need to be praying. We need to be standing in the gap for our generation because our generation is not ready to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you know what? If nuclear war was to break out today and the whole thing you know, was to go that way, which we don't believe is going to happen because there's going to be a rapture, but say that's the case. If you know Jesus, you're born again, you're washed in the blood, you're ready, you're ready to go. But you know what? We have friends, we have families, we have neighbors, we have colleagues, we have people we don't even know. They're not ready and they go straight to hell. We need to be soul winners. We need to be on our knees and praying in Jesus' name. Amen? So anyway, th these men trusted in their senses rather than the voice of God warning them through God's chosen vessel, Paul. How many people have disregarded God's gentle warnings and suffered devastating loss as a consequence? You know, I bought a car six months ago. My wife said to me, John, I don't have a good feeling about it. I said to myself, well, what the hell does she know? <laughs> it looked good, it drove nice, and it has cost me a fortune. It's the worst car I've ever had. <laughs> I didn't have the humility to listen, and I paid the price. And, and, you know, this is the reality. How many times do people fall into addiction or adultery or all kinds of sin simply because they assume that they can't fall and they ignore the warnings? You know, I'd heard about alphas, but I'd really thought that I was going to be the exception. I wasn't. You do the crime, you do the time. My crime was I didn't listen to my wife. 
and I suffered as a consequence. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. You see, I've worked in my dad's garage since I was 11. You know, I worked for years. I worked as a mechanic. I studied transport engineering for three years in Bolton Street. I worked for almost 20 years as a motor engineer. So I thought I knew more than her. She doesn't even know how to change a tar. But you know what? I was led by my senses. She was led by her spirit. This is a day, this is a day where we need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and use common sense. But you know what? You won't do that if you're humble, if you're not humble. Because, you know, many times we sincerely seek the Lord when we're down or when we're in need. But you know what? The very moment we get back up, we either stop seeking God or our prayer life wanes. We take our foot off the pedal. And this is so sad and foolish because, you know what, uh, without God, we can do nothing. Humility recognizes your desperate and your ongoing need for God. Jesus said in John 15 and verse 5, says, without me, you can do nothing. But you know what, that doesn't stop us trying many times, though. You know, how many people, how many times do people come out of addiction or come out of prison or come out of some problem and you know what, they're so grateful to God for delivering them, but you know what, literally within weeks or months, they're back, to, they're back up to the same old habits and tricks. You know, ducking and diving, indulging bad habits, bad company, and bad attitudes. Why? Pride. Pride. I want to do things my way and I won't listen to anybody, even God. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey those who have the rule over you and submit yourselves. For they keep watch over your souls as those who must give an account um, that they may do it with, uh, jo with joy and not grief. For this is unprofitable for you. Some of you say, I don't believe in that submission stuff. That's because you have a rebellious spirit that stops you from submitting to God-ordained authority. You see, rebellion is ultimately rooted in pride. So please, be open to correction. Because you know what? A pastor doesn't correct you because he enjoys an argument or because he's on a power trip, or at least he shouldn't, but because he's been charged by God to care for your eternal soul. And as one who will give an account, because pastors will give an account to God in eternity. And that's a very sobering thing for me as a pastor to consider. That's why James 3.1 says, Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church. For we who teach will be judged more strictly. The King, New King James says, uh, we will receive a stricter judgment. You know, it's a difficult job. So as a church member, don't make it any more difficult than it needs to be. Proverbs 13.18, poverty and shame come to him who ignores discipline. But whoever heeds correction is uh, honored. Proverbs 15, 32. He who disdains instruction despises his own soul, but he who heeds rebuke gets understanding. Proverbs 15, 5. A fool rejects his father's discipline, but he who complies with rebuke is sensible. Be open to correction. Okay, Proverbs 18 and 12, before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. Because you, let me be honest, sometimes it's like watching a car crash in slow motion. You know where they're going to end up if they persist on the path they're on. You know, it's frustrating to see people arrogantly resist God's ways and ignore God's warnings. And, and you know, just because they come through your pastor or your family doesn't mean that it's not God speaking to you. You know, because let me say this, every, every God-ordained minister carries a terrifying burden and responsibility because we're called, like I said, by God to guide, influence, and help eternal souls and at times lovingly correct and rebuke them. You know, Ezekiel chapter 33 and verse 8 and 9 uh, addresses this very thing. And it says, when I, when, you say, when I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Nevertheless, if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, but he shall die in his iniquity, but you have uh, delivered your soul. 2 Timothy 4.2, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage. It's so important that messages are encouraging, but that is not just what the Bible says to do. It says at times to rebuke and to correct with great patience and careful instruction. 
Amen? Because when you know what the Bible says, but you choose to ignore it anyway, when you choose to ignore the inner witness of the Spirit that is warning you or the advice of your pastor or your family who care for you, you're on a dangerous path. Because God's trying to get your attention, but you uh, are, are choosing to ignore to ignore that, you know, you're literally running the red lights, so to speak. You're running, you're ignoring the red lights, and it's just a matter of time before you crash. Because again, if you're watching things that you know are sinful, or you're choosing to move in with your boyfriend simply because he's such a handsome devil, don't be surprised if you end up living with the devil. Yeah. Amen. And and you know, I'm I'm. Uh, you would be amazed. I call them hokey pokey Christians. They're in and they're out, they're up and they're down, they're hot and they're cold. They do well for a while, but, but you know what? Old habits die hard. The next thing you know, they've moved in with their girlfriend. You know, they've been Christians for years. They know what's right and wrong. So why are they doing it? Pride. Just like me with the Alpha. I'll be the exception. No, you won't. The wages of sin is death. You choose the pathway of sin, it always terminates with the same result. It may take longer for some than others, but it will always bring you to the same termination, and that is destruction and harm. Amen? So again, don't, don't be a person that is proud and arrogant. Be humble. Amen? And even for those who are married, let me say this, humility is still essential. Ephesians 5.21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. You see, you won't submit if you're proud. You will insist on your own way. 1 Corinthians 13.7, love does not insist on its own way. Do you want to have a happy marriage? Do what your wife tells you. Do what your husband tells you. Nobody's applauding for that. I'm not talking about submitting to sin. I'm just talking about being amenable. You see, the truth is, so many marriage problems are rooted in pride. I want my own way, and so I refuse to listen or consider my spouse and their needs. Instead, I selfishly manipulate until, what I, until I get what I want. And as a pastor, I've heard it all before. She's not doing this and he won't do that. He said this, she said that. Well, well, pastor, I know what the Bible says, but I have to be happy. Who said? You're not a five-year-old. <laughs> Don't be a happy meal husband or a happy meal wife. You know, I get my way or else I throw all the toys out of the pram. Listen, that's not a good look on an adult, okay? So again, you know, I have to be happy and people leave their wife or leave their husband. That's the dumbest statement you can ever come out with, okay? People say, I'm not getting this and, and uh, you're not doing that. The truth is you're not listening because you think you know it all. And, and you don't want to admit that you're wrong. It's, it's like the woman, the uh, lady in this church, she was accompanying the pastor on, on, on some marriage counseling. The man met them at the door, walking out the door, said, she's inside, she's the problem, I'm going to a church meeting. Now that man was another idiot. Uh, because, I mean, that man's utter lack of self, it takes two to tango, remember that, okay? Uh, but <laughs> it takes two to make a mess of a marriage, okay? But what I would say is this, you know, that man's utter lack of self-awareness, it would have been funny if it wasn't so sad. But you know what? It's no surprise he was having marriage problems with an attitude like that, because that attitude was rooted in the fact that he was conceited and, and, and proud. And so pride always refuses to consider that I, I might actually be the problem, or at least I might have contributed to it. And you know, it's the same with people who no matter what will never, ever, ever back down or say they're sorry or admit that they're wrong. Why? Pride precludes them from backing down. And so Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction, a Holy Spirit before a fall. I want to read it here in the Passion. Your boast becomes a prophecy of a future failure. The higher you lift yourself up in pride, the harder you'll fall in disgrace. So humble yourself and you'll avoid disgrace. You'll avoid heartache because pride resists God and God resists pride. You see, Satan's fall is an example to all of us. Yeah. Isaiah 14 and 12, how thou art fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. 
How thou art cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations. For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet you shall be brought down to hell, to the sides of the pit. You see, Satan was anointed and as appointed as you can get. He was the anointed cherub, you know, entrusted with covering God's throne with worship. He was so privileged to stand in God's holy presence and yet pride brought him down. In in the very same way, the very moment we step into pride, God steps aside and we are left on our own. And if you are left on your own trying to solve a problem, you are in big trouble. But, But you know, compare Satan's pride with Christ's humility. John chapter five and verse 19. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Then Jesus answered and said to most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the father do, for whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. Verse 30. I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the father who sent me. Verse 38, but you do not have his word abiding in you because whom he sent him, you do not believe. Verse 41, I do not receive honor from men. Chapter seven and verse 16. Jesus answered, said, my doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. Verse 28, then Jesus cried out, you both know me and you know where I'm from and I've not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. Chapter eight and verse 28. Then Jesus said, when you lift up the son of man, then you'll know that I'm he and that I do nothing of myself. But as my father taught me, I speak these things. Verse 42. Then Jesus said, if God were your father, you would love him, for I proceeded forth and came from God. Nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Verse 50. I do not seek my own glory, but uh, there is one who seeks and judges. Chapter 14 and verse 10. I'm just trying to give you a picture of Christ's humility. Do, not, uh, do you not believe that I'm in the Father and the Father in me? The words I speak to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Verse 24, he who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. You see, Christ gave all the credit and all the glory to God, even though he is God himself. And yet even within the Godhead, uh, you know, Christ submits to the Father. Um, and, And so, who do you wish to emulate? You know, what do you want to be chiseled on your tombstone. He or she glorified God or they served self. You know, at the base of the tombstone of the great British preachers, uh, John and Charles Wesley is written, God buries his workmen, but continues on his work. You know, our dear precious Jackie Orr, she was such a, a, a woman of faith and such a servant of God. But you know what? She's been buried, but God's work continues. God buries his workers, he continues his work because this is bigger than any one of us. And this is why it's foolish for any minister to ever walk in pride because we are, every one of us as Christians, we are sitting on the shoulders of the spiritual giants who went before us. Men and women who suffered for the faith. Men and women who were burned at the stake and who proclaimed the truth. And that's why, irrespective of how good a sermon you preach, you can be guaranteed there is somebody somewhere long before you who preached one far better so just humble yourself you're just a vessel that God is using at this present moment and the time will come when the God the Lord takes you back home in Jesus name but you know what God buried God buries his workmen he continues his work you see this quote reflects a humble estimation of self which at times is sadly lacking in some ministers because none of us are irreplaceable but you know what believers are also guilty of this how quick we are to judge and condemn others. I was speaking to a friend of mine uh, about this very thing a few weeks ago. I, I, and he was asking me about this minister. And I, I don't personally listen to him per se. I have it at times in the past. 
Um, but, you know, much of the criticism this, this man receives, I believe, is rooted in jealousy because, you know, there's tens of thousands going to his church. And, and you can't deny, if you look at it objectively, that he's reaching many people that the church doesn't normally reach. Uh, you know, he doesn't use religious language, uh, or at least, you know, traditional you know, he tends to put it into language maybe that unsaved people can understand better and, and uh, you know, believers get offended because he doesn't use religious language. But I, I, I think we need to be better at recognizing difference in the body of Christ. Because, you know, that night after we had that discussion, I was reading, you know, I'm always reading through the Bible. And that night I, I came along to, to the, the very chapter I came along was Matthew chapter 12 and verse 36. And it says this. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you'll be justified, and by your words you'll be condemned. You might say, oh, that doesn't apply to me as a believer. Yes, it does. Christ bore our judgment on the cross, but we'll be judged for the words that we speak. Romans 14 and 4. Who are you to judge another man's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him to stand. You know, when I was in Texas, uh, I don't know how many years ago, I was with a friend of mine, so I decided out of curiosity to go to that church. And uh, amazingly, this man wasn't giving altar calls to Satan. He was reading out a Bible, and he was leading people to Christ. But, but you know, a lot of the criticism that, that some of these ministers receive and I'm not, listen, I'm not making an endorsement of everybody out there. I'm just simply saying a lot of the criticism out there is rooted in jealousy and pride. Because a lot of times that, that criticism is coming from a minister who's got 10 people in his church. And, and he's automatically assuming that because of thousands go to another person's church that he's somehow diluted and compromised the truth. No, Jesus said, go win the world. You know what? We came here because we want to reach this city. And we're serious about it. And we have seats for them. And we're praying for them. And I, I just ask you, I implore you, invite your friends. Invite your family, your colleagues. There's somebody you can ask to church. There's somebody that you can bring with you who might receive Jesus as their Savior. All I would say is this. A lot of the hit pieces that are out there on YouTube, knocking healing, knocking prosperity, are made by people who don't believe in healing or prosperity are the gifts of the Spirit. And watching that kind of stuff feeds a certain cynicism and unbelief in you. Because how can you expect to prosper? And that's not a curse word, even though it's treated like a curse word by some in the church. It's not a sin to prosper. It's not a sin to own a house. It's not a sin to have enough money to feed your kids and clothe them well and look after them and do what God has put on your heart. It's not a sin, you know, for us to buy a church if we had the money to do so. But to do that, we have to overcome this poverty mentality that the church has embraced, which has kept the gospel limited. There are so many things we could do tomorrow morning if we had the money to do so. One of the first things I would do would be buy some homes to put these homeless men and women in. You know, why is that such a big issue? It's because we have embraced a lie. I understand there's excesses. There's always some who will take, you know, a truth and make it the truth and, and go to excess. That's fine. But, you know, our problem is we're always throwing out the baby with the backwater. How can you expect to prosper or be healed if you act like it is a curse. Because being broke or being sick isn't a virtue. Read the book of Deuteronomy chapter 28. It lists the curses. It lists the blessings. How many of you know that healing and prosperity are under the blessings? Okay? They're not under the curse. And I, this may offend you. That's fine. I, I'm really at a place where I, I said, you know what, Lord? I'm, I'm just going to say what's on my heart. Okay? Because let me say this, dismissing the blessings of God, I can just sense the tension in the air. It's amazing you start to talk about money and, and there's this tension comes. That's a religious spirit. I rebuke in the name of Jesus. Okay? Dismissing the blessings of God as a health 
and wealth gospel is foolish. Why? It's foolish as well as being disrespectful to the God who made those promises in the first place. Because if it truly is sin, that means that poverty and sickness is your portion and every one of you to be consistent should be praying and asking God, please make me sick and please make me poor. Can you see the the hypocrisy of this? You see, a lot of people embrace that, oh, that's health and wealth. You know why? Because they're stingy and they don't want to give. It's like the person in the church who prayed, Lord, you keep the preacher humble and I'll keep him poor. I'm not going to take up an offering, so relax. I'm just trying to... I'm just kind of in that kind of a vibe today where I feel like sacrificing some, some sacred cows. No, to be consistent, you should be actively praying that God gives you more. God make me more sick. God make me more poor. Does that mean that God endorses selfishness or greed? Of course not. He calls us to help the poor and minister to the broken. But the point I'm trying to make is you can't help the poor if you're poor yourself. Frequently every week we're giving money to people to try and help them. But, but, you know, at some point, you know, we have to change our mentality as the church and believe for the blessings of God to be released so that we could go out and buy ourselves a church building so we, you know, don't have to have the smell of beer on a Sunday morning. You know, glory to God. But I'm grateful for what we have. I'm just saying. Okay, so anyway... God wants us to help people, but it's double-minded. It's double-minded if we desire God's blessings in our lives, but we call it a curse at the same time when we see it in the lives of others. So either way, we need to stop judging and criticizing each other because much of this criticism is rooted in pride, arrogance, and jealousy. We need to humble ourselves and allow God to to be the judge of those who serve him. Let me say this, you are not the judge of some man or woman of God. God is, okay? Because if they reach just one soul between now and the final trumpet, they will be rewarded by God and you will give an account for the words that you have been speaking. Hey, it's an eternity. We'll discover who is a servant of God and who is a servant of someone else. That's fine. But let God be the judge of that, not you and not me. We will have to answer for our words. James 1.9, let everyone be, be, be slow to speak, uh, quick to listen. Uh, hallelujah. Just got that, I don't know how many times I, I share that with, uh, in our marriage, pre-marriage counseling. James 1, verse 19, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You know, some people need to literally register their tongue as a weapon of mass destruction. Because God won't be with you if you're constantly tearing other people down, okay? And, and like I said, much of what we, criticism that goes out there is rooted in pride. You know, on the tombstone of John Wesley are the final words, and best of all, God is with us. Let me say this. It won't be well if God's not with you. And God won't be with you if you are proud. God won't be with you if you're not a humble person. He won't be with you. Just ask Pharaoh, Ask King Saul, ask King Ahab, Belshazzar, Goliath, Haman, Herod, or Judas. All of these men discovered too late that you must humble yourself before Almighty God, but pride blinded them to the truth. If you read the book of Exodus, you will see the issue was the pride of Pharaoh's heart. On the tombstone of John Wesley are his final words, and best of all, God is with us. You see, God will be with you if you're humble. I don't have time to go to the story of of, um, uh, Naaman the Syrian. You know, Naaman the Syrian was a Syrian general who was suffering not only from leprosy, but from an inflated sense of self-importance. You see, his pride almost caused him to miss his miracle. He was about to walk away from an encounter with the healing power of God because he was offended. How many times do people walk out of church because they just heard truth that could have changed their lives, but instead of listening to what was said, they chose to be offended and walk out in indignation and walk out missing the destiny that God had for them, missing the blessing that God had for them, if only they had the humility to hear. 
the humility to listen. Because all of us hear stuff, but many times you're not listening. Speaking to all the married men right now. How many of you know your wife can talk to you sometimes and you're, you're hearing, but you're not listening? Naaman almost missed what God wanted to do in his life because of a lack of humility. And this is the truth. Naaman, like so many others, he was willing to do a great thing, but he was unwilling to do a little thing. That's what I love about my wife. As long as I've known her, she's always been willing to do whatever it takes. That's been our motto, whatever it takes. You know, she has to go there and clean the toilets. Look at her, she's beautiful. She looks like an advertisement for St. Patrick. You look like a representative from Board Falcha. Almost expected you to do a little, a little jig this morning. I love that lady. He was faithful in little. Be faithful much. Ask me to preach. Ask me to preach, pastor. But don't you dare ask me to teach the kids. Let me behind the pulpit and I'll show you what I have. Come to the street and we'll see what you have. But the fact that you're not there and have no interest in being there tells me a whole lot. Because let me say this. Don't tell me you're called to the nations and you're not willing to go to your neighbor. Because before God will send you to the nations, he may just send you across the street. And I know that may have been too much truth for some of you today. Give me five minutes and I'm finished. But you know what? As a pastor, I take great interest in those who have a heart for souls. I want Rang and Grace to stand up. And Liam, I want you to stand up. You know, they've been faithfully leading in the outreach. You know, this Tuesday night, Liam went out in the lashing rain and the, and the cold and the ice. They led eight people to Christ on the streets of this city. I love you guys. They were, I know Grace and Rang were out yesterday. You know, the, hallelujah. They could be back home in Zimbabwe getting some sunshine or the Congo, you know. Why did I do that? I don't know. Uh, I think it's a little bit of an African in me somewhere. Was that? Character and compassion comes before charisma. We've overemphasized charisma and we've neglected character and we've neglected compassion. You may get offended by this, but you're offended because you're not humble. I remember as a young man, I memorized John 3.16. Car Dieu attend à me la main qui est dans son fils unique afin qu'il croit en lui, ne perce pas, mais qu'il est la vie éternelle. How many of you are impressed? Nobody. I know. I once quoted that in the street to a Frenchman, and he looked at me and said, was that Chinese? You see... Some of you don't know, I went to seventh class. In Kerry, it's a thing. Seventh class, after sixth, normally you go to secondary, but I went to seventh class. I did, looking back, I realized it was for the special kids. <laughs> because there was only about six of us. It was a, a, a little intimate class. And, and we didn't actually, in retrospect, we didn't have a teacher. We had one of the Christian brothers who was retired, used to come in. And, 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 and he, he said, I'm going to teach you French. And I said, great. He said, because you know what? You're going to do French and you go to secondary and you'll have a great head start on all the other kids. And so I started in first year. And the first thing the French teacher says, do any of you have any French experience? I put my hand up. I was so proud. I was so proud of myself. And he said, well, what, what do you know? I said, well, bonjour, monsieur. And I was humbled because I suddenly, it's only now I realize, you know, that man just opened the French book and decided to start because the first thing he taught us was, how do you say hello in French? Bonjour, monsieur. Uh, I don't think he'd ever been to France, but, but I was humbled. And you see, humility is a principle of God's kingdom. You know, Luke chapter 14 and verse 11, I'm just about to finish, but uh, it says, for whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself 
will be exalted. You know, Matthew chapter 20, 20 and verse 26. It's just I want to finish the series, so I'm just going to, I'm just going to finish it. Verse 26. Yet it, not shall, it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. You know that word in the, in the Greek is diakonos, which means through the dirt. And you know, just this morning, in the early hours of the morning, I like to get up early, but the Lord just gave me that image of, of a farmer plowing his field in Israel. You know, it's through the dirt. It's through the dust. And you know what? You can't plow without getting dirty. In the same way, you can't, uh, you can't, you know, be the man or woman of God that he's called you to be unless you have a heart to serve. You see, winning the world takes work. Amen? And, and this is why, you know, minister and deacon come from the same uh, word. That word uh, is servant. Uh, the same way as shepherd and pastor come from the same word. Amen? And so this is the truth. Humble people love and serve people while proud people use and abuse people. And you must make a decision, you know, that you're going to be a person who loves and serves. Because as a leader, you have to ask yourself this question regularly. Is this a career or is this a calling? Do I value a position or do I value people? Like I said, COVID revealed to me that I believe to some this is a career. You know, Revelation 4 and verse 10, it says how they bow down in heaven. You know, humility is a characteristic of those who are in heaven, and therefore, humility must be characteristic of us who are on earth. The 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Do you know the very fact that you're here today you might have been told you're an accident. No, you're not. You exist because of the will of God. Some of us recently, even yesterday, one of some about 30 leaders at the house, and somebody said on the way out, it was Anya. She said, you know, I wish I was born in the 19th century. I, I sometimes identify with that, or at least back in the 80s, okay? I, I think I need washing machine and running water, but, but, but you know... Sometimes looking back, you, you, you can think, Lord. But you know what? God has us in this day. Just like Esther, you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. God has a destiny. By his will, you exist and you were created. And this is why we must be humble. Because in heaven, we must be there humble. On earth, we must be humble. Our job is to lift up Christ, not self. You see, this is the problem. Some people are too full of self. Amen? They're so full of self, they can't be used by God. James 4, 6, but he gives more grace. Therefore, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So if God is opposing you, it doesn't matter how hard you try. It doesn't matter who's helping you. If God is opposing you, it doesn't matter how smart you are, or how connected, or how hardworking, or how qualified you are, you are doomed to failure. Well, as I finish, what makes the difference between God helping you or God hindering you? I believe it's humility. John 3.30, he must become greater, I must become less. The new living, he must become greater and greater, I must become less and less. You know, John's ministry lasted only about six months followed by nine months of imprisonment. And yet think about it, 2,000 years later, we're still talking about him and studying his life. Six months of ministry, nine months of imprisonment, finishing with being beheaded. It certainly didn't look like he had accomplished a lot, but you know what? He was one man with one message, behold the lamb. And that has to be our message in this day and age. It's not about me. It's not about getting people to look at me. It is about every one of us lifting up Jesus. If I be lifted up from this earth, I will draw all men onto me. We can learn a lesson on humility from John because there's nothing more Christ-like than humility. And this is why I believe we need to reflect on what we've studied over these last four weeks. Amen? Because Jesus is our example. Luke 22 and verse 27, I'm among you as one who serves. In John 13, Jesus humbled himself to wash the disciples' feet, which was a job reserved for the lowest servant. Amen? So Christ humbled himself to serve 
and we must humble ourselves too. You see, Jesus demanded humility from his disciples. He lived and he demonstrated it. He led by example. And this is why the Bible says in 1 Peter, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. I believe this net message is laying the groundwork for revival because we're not going to see revival until we humble ourselves. Humble yourselves before the mighty hand of God. People, it's time to humble ourselves as the worship group come forward. We must repent of criticizing and condemning each other. We need to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Why? There is work to be done and a world to be won. And we must be about our Father's business. Thank you for watching this video. We hope it blesses and encourages you. Please hit the like button if you enjoyed the message. Also, please consider to subscribe and enable the notification bell so you don't miss any of our upcoming videos. See you in the next video.